Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel, recording this in the Baseball America podcast nook. We got a special request this week. Jim Callis and I banged out a little half-hour podcast last week. And as we wrote the Red Sox and Yankees top ten prospect lists, we focused on those two top tens. And we did give, admittedly, short shrift to the rest of the American League East. And fans were not amused. And we so, are a podcast of the people. That's so it. We will so respond. as a result, we are responding on this election day uh, to popular sentiment. <laughs> nice, nice use of the cough button there, JJ. But we don't have a sneeze button, so we don't have a JJ sneeze button, as a matter of fact. But we are responding to the popular sentiment and uh, following up on the other three American League East top tens as we wrap up American League Central top tens. And uh, if you're on BaseballAmerica.com while you're listening to this podcast. Don't forget to check out 2012 Minor League Free Agent Tracker. My last column Matt was about Avery. Minor League Free Agents and the impact they made in the postseason this year. Our starting left fielders on both postseason teams were Minor League Free Agents, Quentin Berry and, and Gregor Blanco. And uh, they both, you know, American League and National League pennant winners with Minor League Free Agents in the starting lineup. Uh, the number one, uh, Quentin Berry led his team in stolen bases. Gregor Blanco was second. Uh, I, I think it tells you why Matt Eddy put so much energy and intensity into he the minor league free minor agents. League he loves his rules and procedures, and I encourage you to check out the minor league uh, free agent tracker. One other thing to also encourage you to check out, if you have not checked out our site in the last week or so, yeah, we've not. Why not? Tweak. You know, but but yeah, we've we've made a little tweak, a uh, new little front. You know, a little bit. Now you have four stories basically leading the site instead of one, which hopefully gives you a little bit. A chance to kind of, you know, maybe see a, couple, a story or two that you might have missed otherwise. So yeah, I think it's a little bit easier to find stuff on the uh, on the site, which uh, which we appreciate the hard work of people like JJ Cooper for doing. Because JJ doesn't just uh, write about prospects, but he does a lot of that stuff too. He does a lot of the coding. <laughs> Sadly enough, we still do a lot of coding. Thankfully, a little less now that we're doing this. So. That's going to change. Uh, we have a lot of changes coming to BaseballAmerica.com's uh, website uh, in 2013. So we appreciate everyone's patience with it. But let's just dive right into the uh, top tens, JJ. And I've already given a little bit of my opinion on these uh, organization top tens. So I'm going to play host, and you're going to play expert for most of this podcast. Uh, don't like worry, guys. Do I will get some. I'm sure I'll get John to you, talk you, some. You can tease it out of me if you work hard. Um, but you know, Jim and I had this line that we both used last year that the Orioles were the fifth best farm system and the fifth best major league team. We were definitely proven wrong on the fifth best team in the division last year. Storybook season by the Orioles. Kudos to Buck Showalter and, and Dan Duquette, and talk about a team that's pro scouting staff made a real impact on the roster. Miguel Gonzalez, Ryan Flaherty, up and down that. You know, Nate McLeod is a minor league free agent during the season. But the Orioles, to me, JJ, if they can maintain, the, I, I do think that they're a candidate. I don't mean to sound like Pythagoras here, but they are. Although Santon Pythagoria. So I can don't, do that if you want. Don't don't worry, people. I don't know what he said either. But anyway, I I can get all Pythagorean on you, but I do think they're a candidate to regress somewhat at the major league level, depends on depending on what they do this off season. But the help for them next year doesn't seem like it's going to come from their farm system if, if it doesn't come from Dylan Bundy and maybe Kevin Gossman. Yeah, but the one thing I'll say for them, and we don't Machado, Manny Machado, no longer eligible for this, but in is kind of a near prospect. He's he's the guy who already helped them some. Uh, late in the year. Right. Uh, he helped them a lot. A lot. Well, I do think that this, if you count him as kind of part of this young talent, they're getting a lot more help now than they've gotten for a long, long time. And the reason Great I say point. that is is that if you give me a choice, we talk about this, 
I'm I'm a, probably a more fan of depth than like Cal, than Jim Callis is. We've had some arguments in past years over you know rankings of guy you know like right. I, I wanted the Reds higher because yeah, farm systems like you are more of a fan of you like a team that's got a, that's got contributors in eleven to thirty. Jim does too, but he would rather have a strong top ten right. than a, than an okay top ten. But, but depth. and I'm agreeing in some ways with that though. In that to me though, the biggest thing that you can have as a farm system are difference makers. I do think that if you give me a choice of Hey, this team has five guys who could end up being solid starters, and the other you look at compare that. This team has two guys who we have a, think have a pretty good chance to be perennial all stars. Yep. Give me the all stars. I agree. You can find the Gregor Blancos of the world. You can find the guys to kind of fill in around. But the reality is, is that what what has made the Giants now a two time World Series champion? Buster Posey is. I was going to say warlords. But, <laughs> but <laughs> it's election day. I have politics but, in the brain. But Buster Posey is the kind of guy, the fixture, the cornerstone. Absolutely. And then you can fill in around that. You Absolutely. have to have the Buster Poseys of the world, though. You have to have the Matt Canes. You well, have last to... year's Cardinals championship team. I mean, you're talking about our Pujols and Yadier Molina. Uh, so you had those. Once you, you have had, those, and, and then and you have Carp. You had Carpenter this year. Wainwright obviously wasn't as good for the for the Cardinals, but. You know, Jaime Garcia, you had your frontline guy, you had your, your lockdown closer, and Jason Mott, who of course, was a lower draft pick. But you had some stars you spackle in, you can build around them. When you have stars, you can, you can a, have Daniel Descalso as your role, and, and John Jay up the middle. You can pick up an, uh, a, an aging Rafael for Collins and say, we'll be okay at shortstop. You yeah, can do that. If you have that. stars at the big league level, then I think you do want a farm system that focuses on depth. And, and, you, and, you, and you hope that you get some upside. That, that's what the Cardinals have done very well. I agree. I, to me, the outside of Matt Wieters, uh, the Orioles had not really developed any difference makers, homegrown difference makers. I mean, their last homegrown, real good regular had previously was Nick Markakis, who was an 0-1 draft. And he's not. And he's not a difference maker. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a complimentary player. And I, I feel I still feel like they missed him. I, I kind of feel like their offense was so limited in the postseason. If they had Nick Markakis, I kind of wonder how much different their series with the Yankees would have been. And I, I really do feel like the Orioles would have been much better in the LCS against Detroit, much more competitive uh, than the Yankees were. To me, the Orioles are going to improve next year. The only I don't see – do you see anyone, though, 3-10, to 10, J.J.? No, I, I think – who, who can impact that major league roster the, next year the, other than Hose the, or Avery? The, and I don't think they can. I don't think either – I don't – That we were talking about before the start of the podcast. I look at them 3-10, through 10, and if you tell me that they get one other good regular out of the 3-10 through 10, I think they – I'm talking not, hey, that guy was useful. Right. I'm talking five-year starter, you know, regular. Right. If they get one out of that three through ten, I think they did pretty well because there's a lot of guys in that list who there are a lot of reasons to not believe in. They're like extra guys to me, most of those Xavier guys. Xavier Avery is in AAA. He made the big leagues, and the question is, will he hit? Usually, yeah. not that it doesn't ever sometimes happen. If you're talking about a guy who's made it to AAA already, and the question is – is he has everything except for this question about getting a hit? The answer usually to that is he's not going to hit. I I completely agree. That's why he ranks behind L.J. Hose. I think throughout their careers, and they're both 08 draft picks. You know, Avery has ranked ahead of L.J. Hose because he's a better athlete, more explosive player, better all-around tools. And you just yeah, he, the bat was behind, but the ceiling has always been higher. Uh, but, I still think the ceiling is higher. But to me, I mean, at AAA. Ceiling matters less. What have you done for me lately matters more. And it's not like L.J. Hose is without tools. He's just without profile. To me, the, the problem for L.J. Hose is is that L.J. Xavier Avery. It's 
is he, if he's going to hit. If he hits, everything else will be fine. Right. With LJ Hose, it's you've got your choices are okay. He's going to hit some because the guy can hit for average. Yeah, and he he's going to get on. He's going to get on base. But the question becomes, okay, when he was a when you were thinking he could play in the infield, that was going to be enough. Right. When all of a sudden he's a left fielder. Right. That's what I'm saying. He does it in profile. But I mean, I do think that LJ Hose. Uh, if they don't fill their hole in left field, He'll in my it. mind, L.J. Hose, I think, has a shot at that. And I, I, I he won't be awful. I think he'd be – yeah, I'm a little higher on him than you are. I, I think he's a, I think his profile is a lot like Nick Markakis's. Less power and less arm, obviously. Um, so he's more of like, – like Nick Markakis is like a 10 to 15 home run guy. This guy's more like an 8 to 12 home run guy, I think, over the course of a full major league season. But again, I, I do think with the which, way the which Orioles I'll point out, up, that would be that would be he, he had five in a full season last year, so he you right, know, he's he, getting older. He, you know, he's also yeah, he's also playing at Norfolk, which is yeah. a really tough place to hit you know for half the season. I do feel like pitchers around at the major league level a throw harder and, and b are around the plate more. I, I think I don't think it's crazy to say eight to twelve. No, no, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it is. I'm saying but yeah, I'm saying his best case scenario is that he's a, a left fielder who is not a profile guy. He's like a David Murphy. But all the guys we're talking about, Marcakis, Murphy, these kind of guys who are, are good hitters but don't profile, they're all left-handed hitters too. So that works against L.J. Hose as well. Again, I think he's a second-division regular. The only reason I think he has a chance to impact their team is they have a hole in left field. He has shown he can hit. And they do have power uh, at catcher and shortstop and center field that makes it more plausible for them to have – non-profile power at the corners. That, you know, to no, me, that's I, the reason I, it works. Their most intriguing guy outside of the top two guys to me was Rodriguez, the left-hander. Uh, there's something there. No, I uh, agree. He's just so far away. Uh, but I'm not a huge Nicky Delmonico fan. I'm not a fan of teenagers with back issues. That's not it's nothing personal. Uh, I like Nicky's dad. <laughs> I've always had great conversations with Rod Delmonico. Uh, but to me, the, the guys that interest me the most on the rest of their top ten uh, Eduardo Rodriguez at number five, a left-hander with some upside up to 94 miles an hour. Change-up sounds like it's got some something interesting going on there. He's the most intriguing guy to me, and again, a sign of uh, the international efforts of the Orioles. They've been so bad for so long internationally, and now you see a couple of guys like Scope and Rodriguez, I think, give them some hope. That, that, I was going to say, Scope positive. is the other guy that, in, in a different organization, the reality is, is I don't think that Scope necessarily, the funny thing is, is that for a team that doesn't, he he needs to be a second baseman to fit what they need. Right, and they do have a hole at second base. They do I have think a hole. Ryan Flaherty needs the long term. Right, they do have a hole at second base. But if he's not a second baseman, he doesn't fit what they need. Right. Yeah, they they they're they're fairly set at uh, short and third. However, they want to they want to do it. Although again, uh, I do think JJ Hardy, if I'm not mistaken, is signed through 2013. There's a chance Scope could fit over there. But again, he does not have profile power at third right. base. Right. The problem even is, I, think I don't third think third base is his best spot. Third base may be his best spot defensively. But again, it's the same thing we're talking about with LJ Hose. I think with Scope, the problem is, is if he's a third baseman, I think right. his bat fits a lot better as a second baseman. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Moving on to the Rays. Well, one, oh, one other thing I was going to say, though. Thing? One okay. other thing I was going to say at the Orioles, though, is just that, again, at the top end of this, though, when you say what's going to make an impact, if Dylan Bundy makes 30 starts for them next year, yeah, I won't be shocked. That makes an impact because yeah, I won't be shocked if he makes 30 starts for them. And in fact, the presence of Bundy and Gossman, combined with finding Miguel Gonzalez, the development in 2012 of Chris Tillman. Uh, the late-season development and the bullpen of Brian Mattis, the potential for moving him back in the rotation. What do you do with Jake Arrieta? Is he part of their future? Uh, Jason Hamill had a really nice year for them when he was healthy. I think we're confident that Jason Hamill is a good mid-rotation starter in the American League East, and that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good find. 
they have they have pitching depth, JJ, and with Gossman and Bundy on the way. To me, the best way they improved their team in 2013, other than throwing a lot of money at a free agent at first base or left field, is they trade from a position of strength in the big league rotation. But the other thing I'll say with that is, is that you've seen postseason, you've seen there be, you know, there that Rick Peterson's been out and they had a couple of interviews. And he's I, apparently leaving for Boston. Didn't realize that until the other day, but saw a lot of tweets about that. I haven't seen the official story. I was going to say, it's yet. not official yet because there's still a couple other guys who are at least, last I saw, were linked to it. But. If they lose Rick Peterson, to me, that's a significant setback for them. Because I agree. Whatever you think, I mean, oh, you know, Rick Peterson is a somewhat controversial guy out there, you know, in in baseball circles. I've talked to people who are big Rick Peterson believers. I talked to her people who think he does things the wrong way. Right. You know, but the reality of it is, is that you, if you look at the 2012 Orioles, that's a that's a thumb up for Rick Peterson because. No doubt. There wasn't a whole lot of guys. There were not a whole lot of guys there you could say are sure bets. I, I, I completely forgot about two interesting left-handers they have in Wei-Yin Chen and Zach Britton. Uh, they do have a lot of pitching depth at the big league level, whether or not they bring back Joe Saunders, who I think would actually take a hometown discount and go back is to Is Hamill still under? Oh, yeah, Jason Hamill is. And then I forgot about uh, Tommy Hunter, who to me is more of a bullpen guy like Which, Arietta. by the way, where did that come from? Uh, you know, but you look up his college reports. When he pitched once a week, he was 90-95 all the time. And we always talked about how, yeah, he's a big fat dude, but very athletic, was like a martial arts guy. It didn't actually surprise me when he threw that hard because he's a big old dude. And, uh, and to me, Tommy Hunter and Jake Arietta are guys who you stick them in the seventh, eighth inning role, let them set up, and if Jim Johnson falters – uh, one of those guys could close for you. I especially think Jake Garrietta could close. That's an electric fastball. Uh, so they have options. Uh, uh, in I, the rotation, not, that's their biggest. Besides the fact that, again, they're very strong up the middle, and Manny Machado, I think, is going to have a monster 2013. Their pitching, I think, is going to be good in 2013, even if it's not as good because their bullpen was so historic. The other thing is, is that this is a team that now has a reason to actually spend money. Yeah, no They've doubt. never – they've in the – they've – there was a stretch there where it made sense to not spend money. I think, and I think the, one of the reasons it made sense to not spend money is that they'd been so bad at spending money previously. I understand why Peter Angelos was gun shy, and you know, hopefully, uh, he's not the one making the decisions. But Dan Duquette has his own history of sketchy uh, money deals. But you have to. But you have to give him his credit, his due this year. So I, I do think there's a lot of reason, not just this year, for hope for the Orioles. But. I do think that for the near future, you can see them being good on the mound, and the, that's going to make the, them the way to put it is, is when we're talking about LJ Hose for left field, you know what? And it shouldn't be a guy like Nate McLeod. That's where they could go out, spend some money, and bring in a guy who actually you say, okay, well, clearly that's their left fielder. Or whether it's left field, whether it's second base. Or second base, they go, you know what? We're going to get someone who we can believe in, count right. on, you know, going forward at second base. They're Bad timing award for Brian Roberts' career, unfortunately. Well, I always love Brian Roberts, uh, great grinder, really good leadoff player. I mean, they needed a leadoff hitter. They could have used a leadoff hitter, second baseman who steals bases. But uh, by the time that he had, uh, by the time the team got good, uh, body the, con- the concussions and the shoulder injuries, uh, he just broke down. So always disappointing for our, uh, two th- our 1997 college freshman of the year to not make it at 2012. Very sorry for Brian Roberts. That didn't work out. Moving on. Moving on. Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, JJ, you know, the the point that Jim and I made on the podcast last week was the Rays don't have that future James Shields, Jeremy Hellickson, David Price. I mean, that's a pretty high bar they've set with homegrown pitchers. Yeah, that's pretty high. But that all these guys, um, 
there's not a true number one in this farm that we didn't think, and especially on the position player side. I, I was a little, say, little iffy. There, I say there's a guy who could be a true number one, but he's so far away that you can't throw that on him yet, which is Taylor Guerrero. That's how we. That's what Jim and I agreed to, and his stuff was good in his 2012 pro debut. It wasn't quite as electric right. as it was. Right. We need to see, you know, and, and that's one of the things you have to see. Okay, is that making the adjustment, or is that what he is when he goes every fifth day? Right, and, and that's to be determined. That's why he's two, that's and not who, one. That's why, and whereas number one is a guy who. Really, it comes down to the command is such that you probably can never project front line. Correct. I think Chris Archer is the, exactly the kind of guy who has number one or number two stuff and number five command, so he meets somewhere in the middle. He's a three or four star. For me, he's, Bobby, you, he's you, a modern day version of Bobby Witt. Right, Bobby. I, if you wanted to be really kind to him, he's Edwin Jackson. Yeah, or Edwin Jackson, AJ Burnett, somewhere in between those kind of guys. Man, the stuff's not exactly the same. I think his stuff-wise is a lot more like Edwin Jackson, like anybody else. To me, to me, yeah, that, the Edwin Jackson comp from the standpoint of like, if you told me that Chris Archer went out and threw a no hitter at some point next year right. in the big leagues, wouldn't it wouldn't, shock it would not shock you. If you told me that Chris Archer threw a no hitter and followed it up by getting chased in the second, it would not shock me. The thing with Chris Archer to me is that he has flashed enough command, enough control to be that number two type of starter. He's never going to have pinpoint Roy Halladay, Justin Verlander. I can throw, I can you know beat you in the strike zone, but he does have. A I, I don't stuff think to he will. I, I've gotten to the point now, and this is a story I want to do this off season. Like once Craig Kimbrell made the adjustment that he did, sure. I will never say now again that you know even because Craig Kimbrell coming up in the farm system, he was like a six walks per nine guy. He he was a thirty command. Yeah. If, if he was, I mean, he was. It was his stuff. Is, his stuff is so good that he may be able to survive without ever really throwing strikes. That's the, that was the question. To go from that, in a three-year span, to go from that to where you know, he doesn't walk anyone now. And I know right. that that's control, <laughs> but he doesn't, you know, but you can't have 30 command and, no, and never walk anyone. And I think uh, maybe this is oversimplifying it, but just talking to pitching guys enough over the years, J.J., so many of them just don't realize – uh, you have to throw strikes, and I know that's oversimplified, but you have to. You, the point is, you can't always expect guys to chase. And as an amateur that's pitcher, throughout your career, you're you're rewarded so many times for the pitch that looks like a strike and then isn't at the end. Yeah, you're going to get some big league hitters to chase, but if you have good enough, if you have Chris Archer stuff, if you have a slider that's scraping 89 and still has late bite, and if you can be up to 98 with your fastball. Uh, in the seventh, eighth inning and pitch 105, which I've seen with my own eyes, if you can do that, maybe you should be in the strike zone with those pitches because that's how you become Justin Verlander. You get swings and misses in the strike zone. And I feel like Chris Archer has the stuff to do that. He just has to believe that. That's you know, Scouts, scouts love to talk about it. Like It's a question, because especially when you're talking about when you're trying to evaluate pitchers who are in, still in A ball, the question becomes, do they generate swings and misses in the zone? Yeah. You can almost throw out, okay, yeah, it's a nasty slider, and they get guys to chase it. Don't care. Yeah. You know why? They're not going to chase anymore. That's and, it. And so many guys, you the see, bad, when the they talk about – The bad ones do, but the good ones won't. But the, when you talk about when you make that jump, when they talk about how difficult it is to jump to double-A, the difficult to jump to triple-A, and then the biggest jump of all, the jump from triple-A to big leagues, what – Really, when you're talking about pitching, one of the things they're talking about, a co- couple things. One, the strike zone's smaller. Right. The strike zone is not as big as it is in AAA. But then, you know, and then if 
beyond that, you're, you're also talking that it is. It's like they're going to laugh at that pitch. That I mean, We saw it, again, David Price, we saw this. He's the best example of it for me. He's the guy who crystallized it for me, was seeing him be so good in the big league postseason in 2008, and then seeing him struggle in Durham in 2009, or at the beginning of the year. It wasn't like he was getting hit around, but he was going four or five innings. He couldn't be pitch efficient because he would not throw his slider in the strike zone. And to see the development that he's made, A, it made me think, man, the Rays are really good at this development stuff with pitchers. And B, uh, it made me realize that Maxim, the other team that should remind people of this is the freaking Giants. Ryan Vogelsong's 88-91 the whole postseason. How about Barry Zito in game five, the game that half the winning is the Cardinals, and he's throwing 85-86 down the pipe and getting swings and misses with it, J.J. You have to challenge hitters. You have to throw strikes. You have to get swings and misses in the strike zone. So I really do feel like if Chris Archer can get past that muscle memory and that mental memory that he has of hitters will chase, hitters will chase, hitters will chase, if he can get past that and throw strikes, I really think he's going to be a starter. And I, I like Chris Archer. Uh, I, I don't know that – I think he could have been one on this list, and obviously he is. I feel like – Taylor Guerrero is a defensible one. I feel like Hawk Julie is a defensible one, not for me, but I can see someone making the case. I can see Alex Colabe making the case, whose arm is every bit as live, if not a tick more so, than Chris Archer, touching 98 regularly late in the year with, with Durham when he got called up. I think he had three starts. Um, so th- this is the thing that this system does have some depth, but number one, it's mostly in the lower levels. They had the 10 picks in the first 60 picks in 2011 draft. And it was that Bowling Green team uh, with the hot rods where they had some issues with the two or three players getting banged. I guess it was more than that, getting banged for PEDs. But it was mostly, you hope it was just greenies, basically. You hope it was amphetamines and that it wasn't PEDs in terms of, like, steroids and that these players aren't who we thought they were. Um, but the best player there, basically, Drew Vettelson. I'm not as high on Josh Saleh. I'm not as high on Ryan Brett um, from their, I guess that's their 2010 draft class. But... It all goes back to, J.J., there's a lot resting on the 2011 and 2012 draft classes for the Rays because 08, 09, 2010, not so much. Still no big leaguers from any of those drafts. They're the only team in Major League Baseball with no big leaguers from any draft from 2008 on. And this is not a defense of them. One thing I'll say, they're generally a high school heavy, so you would expect less. Correct. You would expect less because of that because it's going to take the high school guy longer. Correct. That being said, still – that's that's not a good stat. It's not a good stat, and the, and the 2008 draft for them is always going to be remembered as the Posey versus um, Beckham. Beckham draft. And you know, they, chose I know wrong. they don't want that too, but the they bottom line wrong. is they got it wrong. Exactly, I they mean, got it wrong. We can, and they want we to, can they can stick their head, that. They can stick their head in the sand as much as they want to. Buster Posey's been the best player on two uh, World Series teams out of the last three years. The only year he was hurt, was the, uh, the year he was hurt, is the year the Giants didn't win it. When he's healthy, the Giants win it. He's a two-way catcher. Buster Posey's amazing, and they blew it on that. Right. The reality is, is that we can say that there's at this point there is you cannot find a scout. Evidence. You cannot find a scout anywhere, and I mean anywhere, who thinks that Tim Beckham is going to end up being close to Buster Posey. You can't. But the, the other thing is, it's not just Beckham. That's a, I mean, no that's, draft, that's, but no, but that, yeah. that's, that's a huge, that's, that's a huge yeah. difference. They're never going to be able to make up. And I like Tim Beckham more than most. I still think Tim Beckham's ceiling right now is average second baseman. That's it. He could be a decent second baseman, an offensive second baseman with some power if it all comes together. I, I, I know you. I know you're going back to the draft, but I do want you to ask that. So, 
Tim Beckham, Derek Dietrich. They're eight, nine on this list. I know Tim Beckham's. No, Tim, I can. I understand to me why Tim Beckham's eight on this list and Dietrich's nine. He's a year, even though you know, right? Eight oh eight draftees until the high school guy. He's a year younger. Um, I think. If you need a big league shortstop, I think Tim Beckham could play shortstop as a utility Dietrich guy way cannot. better than Derek Dietrich. Derek, that's, Derek that's Dietrich cannot. At the same time, though, I do think that there's a chance that Dietrich's bat is better I, than Beckham's. I, I don't disagree with you. And I think if there is that's a chance. the case, he's. A, I think that Dietrich's a little bit more of a sure bet bat. I think that Beckham is a more upside bat. But again, I'm just basing that on really the hashtag not a scout my eyes. Right. Because I have seen the batting practice and I have seen the ball come off his bat with some electricity. But I've always liked Derek Dietrich. A, long toss. <laughs> B, I like the profile of a left-handed hitter. I do think he can be an offensive second baseman. I think Dietrich's power is a little undersold. I think he could be a third baseman if they needed him. I think he could be a, 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 he's a left-handed hitting David Bell, kind of Joe Randy kind of guy. I mean, Very solid, steady. I, I'm a little distressed. Aren't a strikeout of walk numbers a little out of whack? He's, uh, he's I mean, a little bit of a free swinger. He's a little bit, you know, like this year he struck out uh, 114 times, you know, in a full season, like 500 at-bats, you know, walked 30 times. To me, that's a he's, he's a bottom-of-the-order hitter. He's yeah. like, if best-case scenario, I think Derek Dietrich's a six-hole hitter. I think best-case scenario, Tim Beckham's a two-hole hitter who gives you a 15 to 20 home runs and hits 280 without a ton of uh, – yeah, maybe that's a six-hole hitter too, but I, I think Tim Beckham's going to be a guy who best-case scenario – and I know that he has not shown this on any consistent basis. But best case, he's a guy who hits 280 with like a 320, 330 on base, but he slugs you 460 to 480. That's the best case scenario for, for Tim Beckham. And that's and, and anybody. You know, and, I, I, and honestly, if the Rays think that he's still got more than that left in him, I would love to know what the evidence of that is because it's not just the numbers that tell me that. I've seen the guy. I've talked to scouts who've seen him. Nobody sees more. Right, and that's and maybe you're, you're actually you're at, and there's a lot of projection involved in that. Absolute, we're talking about a guy so smurfly. He's slugged over 400 once, once, and that was for that long. I think it was the uh, 410 year. I thought he had a 410. I, I could I, be wrong though. I mean, it's just there's just nothing there statistically to buoy what Tim Beckham's done, except for the, the yeah, like the the 462 slugging that he had the one year in Durham. So that was it was it's 2011 combined. He slugged over 400 because it was 395 in the Southern League. Right, and then he had, and then it was 460 right. for the 100 at bats in Durham. So I don't have the combined numbers right. in front of me. Right, but that's but yeah. the one year, 2011. So that's where I thought he was making a lot of progress. The ball and really then, jumped off his bat in Durham in 2011. And, and we have to throw in, you know. PED with him too. Not PED, yeah. just drug suspension. Right, drug suspension. You know, and that's that's you get that for your second. <laughs> so. He has something also hanging over his head. Right. And on top of that, now, admittedly, it's minor league drug suspensions. They don't roll over. You know, we found this, with, you know, we talked about this with Jeremy Jeffress. Jeremy Jeffress dropped for the 40 man. Bad news for him because right. he's got to be on a 40 man to avoid, you know, if he ever has another test. No. no. The mode life? Yeah, one lifetime. year. Right? Oh, it is lifetime. Okay. Yeah, you know, for the next one. Which I mean, it, we just isn't that special, guys. No. I mean, it's just <laughs> not that special. But, um,. But no, but the the thing about this raise list though is it's like we're talking about that. That's at eight nine. Again, I don't think we're talking that either of those guys is really again, they're eight nine on the list, but we're not saying either of those guys is a massive impact guy. Yeah, and to me the damning thing about that is this is an organization that drafts for upside. You know, the two thousand eight draft, they spent six million dollars on Tim Beckham. So the rest of the draft they went a little lighter. They drafted a lot of college guys. They had a lot higher hopes for Kyle Lobstein. He just never developed stuff wise as people hoped. Pitchability guy, good changeup, but he's never matured into more velocity. But so the rest of that draft was a lower impact draft, and that's fine. You know, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. But they blew the one pick when you can invest all your money in the number one pick and you get it wrong. 
wear it. Rich, then Rich, not and the difference is, is that if they had drafted that, if, they were, if that had been topped by Buster Posey, again, we're, this is all hindsight, we know, but if they topped that by Buster Posey, you don't care what the rest of the draft is. Right. Does. 2009, mis-evaluations of both the talent and the signability of LeVon Washington and Kendrick Kroger. Kendrick Kroger came out this year as a college junior, couldn't hit in the Appy League. I mean, nothing personal against Kendrick Kroger, but he wasn't a second-round pick, not out of high school. That's a misevaluation, not just of the signability, everyone knew he was going to Stanford, but it's a misevaluation of the ability by the Rays. Same thing with LeVon Washington, Todd Glaceman, Luke Bailey, Jeff Maum. That's just a bad draft. It wasn't just a bad draft because they drafted the wrong guys. The best player out of this draft 2009 for them might end up being Tyler Bortnick, who they've traded. That's just a bad draft, period. I don't, I, I, you know, it's almost irredeemable uh, in, now for the organization. This is why their system's. So when you're an upside system, when you are a team that likes to draft athletes and high school players and you are okay with the raw guys because you believe in your development staff and you're looking for upside and then you go to your farm system and your upside guys are either guys you just drafted or they're guys that you got in trades from other organizations like Chris Archer and Hakju Lee, that's not a good sign. So to me, that's the role. That's the issue I would have as a Rays fan is that, I don't have confidence that they're going to keep getting this right down the line because they have a decent-sized track record now of getting this wrong when it comes to drafting the raw athlete. Yeah, they used to do it great, B.J. Upton, Desmond Jennings. Now they have a longer track record, J.J., getting it wrong. The thing they have going for them at this point is is that they they have a track record of developing pitching. Absolutely. Unparalleled in the industry outside of Dick Tedrow. And and as long as you keep doing that, because here's the thing, like this offseason, they're going to probably trade a pitcher. We don't know if it's going to be Hellickson, if it's going to be Shields, you know, who it's going to be. Right. But they're probably going to trade one. They almost have to. They they have more pitchers than they right. have spots. That No one has this problem. So Minnesota, no tw- Minnesota Twins are saying, like, hey, Tampa Bay Rays, over here, <laughs> please. We have Cole DeVries getting 80 innings in our rotation. I'm begging you. Father, please. Because I mean, if you Sorry. look at it, again, we talked about this. I remember us talking about this in the, po- in the nook you know, before the season, right. and it was true, and it's still true. If you map out their rotation right now, don't change anything, they're about eight deep. Yeah, I guess they really are. I mean, Wade Davis spent the year in their pen. <laughs> right. I think he would have been the Twins' number one. Yes. <laughs> I think he would have. He'd yeah. have been. The, I do the Royals list. He'd have been the Royals' number one. Yeah, he would have been number he, one on most teams in the American League Central, besides not named Detroit. I mean, I guess Chicago wouldn't have been the number one. He might have been number three. No, if you give him to Don Cooper, he'd have been the number one. That's right, <laughs> exactly. Coop would have made him an ace. That's it. I mean, it is sickening how much I mean, that, count they have. We're not talking like we just mentioned Colome and Archer. Those guys are ready. Those well, guys, Archer's ready for right, sure. But Colome, I mean, yeah, Colome, if you said he's been – but you told me that next year at some point is Ray, I should say. Hey, in another organization, Alex Torres will be ready for somebody. Right. He would have been ready coming into 2012. When I say they're 8 deep, you could – You're being conservative. I'm being conservative, so they're going to make a trade. Well, and the thing about this is if they make that trade, depending on which way they go with it, if it's another Chris Archer or, you know, Hawk Julie type trade, they could bring in more impact in the minor league level, or they can go at the big league level. But – but they're gonna, they're gonna, there's gonna be some more talent brought into this organization. Yeah, and uh, and and that, that's that's the, I, I guess what we're saying is part of that is that's great. You have pitching, pitch, extra pitching, you should be able to get a lot of value for that. The other part of it is the farm system has let them down. And I, I I actually think the first player from their 08 
to 12 drafts. He's going to get to the big league team and impact their major league team is Adam Liberator. Left-handed reliever out of Tennessee Tech. I, I, Adam Liberator is my raised sleeper I'm giving to you. I don't think he's going to be a great big leaguer, but out of their out of their drafts in recent years, I like Liberator. After Beckham, I think I like Liberator next in terms of impacting the major it's league roster. If you said who's your guy, that if that's your guy, my guy's a little bit, I know he's a ways away right now, even though he pitched in high A this year, but any Romero to me, reminds me of a future Jake McGee. Oh, I'm not talking about any of their international guys. They've actually had some nice success there. But I'm talking about – how about – but I'm saying – I guess yeah. I'm getting non-top ten. Non-top ten. And also like a draft guy. Like we both liked Stephen Vogt. Mm-hmm. As a role player. We role were, player. And, and Adam 25th Liber- guy on the roster. And Adam Liberator is in the same vein. He's a role player. He's a left-on-left reliever. If he's more than that, he's a sixth or seventh inning guy. That That's all he is. But – uh, for an organization that prides itself, I don't mean I'm not trying to harsh on Ray's scouts, but the bottom, the, the, the results are the results. Uh, they just lost a national cross checker, Mill Hill, who left the organization. So, uh, uh, th- to me, you just can't ignore. This is an organization whose reputation is that they draft and develop great, and they do on the pitching side. Segway, because p- jumping to the reputation. I think there is a reputation out there, you know, I know you talked about a little bit on the first podcast that the Blue Jays are I know, you know, an elite farm system. That's the rep- that's the reputation. But I don't believe and I'm not I'm not ready to give them elite. And I, I don't know I'm how many elite, give them elite. I don't know how Top many elite, 10 certainly. I don't know how many elite farm systems are out there, but I I can think of some I think are better. I'll put it this way, like if you compare this not talking about Rangers, if you said, hey, can you have the Blue Jays system or the Cardinals system, I want the Cardinals. Yeah, that's not that's a no-brainer. I mean, that's we, not even... We should almost, like, compare them just among other bird nickname teams. Because, <laughs> I mean, the Orioles, we like them better than the Orioles. I, I can't think of other bird nickname teams off the top of my head, which is kind of pitiful. But I definitely like the Cardinals better than the Blue Jays. And, again, part of it goes to, uh, you know, one thing of the course. Cardinals do so well, J.J., and everyone in the industry talks about this, is how well they they do drafting college players, college position players, college pitchers. They do a better job with college talent and getting some pr- guys who the industry thinks there's not much projection there, and they get something out of them. They do better in St. Louis than anyone else does. And the Blue Jays are just a great example. 2010 draft. We love some of their young arms in this draft. Aaron Sanchez, Noah Syndergaard, Justin Nicolino. Boom, boom, boom. The college guys they drafted, though, Deck McGuire, Asher Woj, Asher Wojciechowski, already traded Asher Wojciechowski, and you can go ahead and give me the sound effect. I was going to give you the, you know, the, <laughs> beep, beep, beep. the Will Kimmy. Will Kimmy, back it up. I always love that Will uses a joke, a joke that George Costanza made that Jerry Seinfeld made fun of for not being funny. But, but I digress. But what, what else? Deck McGuire was one of those guys who, when you do call, when you're doing call arounds and all, there's a couple of guys that jump to my head as the, yeah, what was, what was, what, you're, like, you're going to tell you're me both to, unsigned players out of high school who went to Georgia Tech and became first-round picks and then backed up, aren't you? No, I wasn't going to go, 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 I wasn't going to play the Jeb Bradley card. <laughs> Jeb but, uh, Bradley, I'm sorry. You know, but, but I was going to say, like, <laughs> it's fun, it is interesting when you're doing, like, like when you're doing the Florida State League list and you're talking to managers. When you're talking to guys who basically are given, here's the clay, now mold yep. it. Yep. And you're talking to managers about guys they see from other teams. And they know. They know who's a first-round pick. They know. And you, you – it's always, it's almost always. Like Joe Savory, I know. He ended up turning it around once he, you know, a little right. bit. You know, but He's a good example. But Joe, he was a good example of these guys who come in, especially because the FSL is a great league for this because yep. you get these guys essentially – Fresh off, fresh off the college, you know, campus. especially because the weather's good. So there's never a hesitation of like, oh, we're not going to send that guy. Sometimes you get a guy who's got some polish, 
and you want to challenge them, but you, you maybe you don't send them to say Wilmington in the Carolina League because there might be early season cold weather. But or you the never California has, League, you're like, right. we'll, we'll ruin them. But you never hesitate to send that guy to the Florida State League for giving ballparks. It is a great league because you will challenge your prospects there. And what what is almost without fail, you don't. I can't think of Joe Savory's almost like the best example of a guy. I who, bet you who got made, Alex Wimmers on this too. Yeah, but <laughs> a best example of a guy who you go, okay, well actually that worked out better than you would all. But when you get the guys who go there, and the managers around the league and scouts you talk to go, you know, pro scouts who didn't do the amateur side, exactly, and they go, what did they see in this guy? Yeah, I didn't see. Uh, more often, if it's the kinder version, yeah, is, the kinder is. He didn't seem like a first rounder to me. You know, you know or or the other way to put it is, is when you're talking to the manager of the team, yeah, and they're like, I better not talk about that guy. <laughs> that That's always when you get the. When you get the either you I better not talk about that guy or you ask like five questions about the guy and yeah. you look at your notes and realize that he didn't tell you anything about the guy and it's like I just I better off not talking about this guy because I don't want to get in trouble or I don't want to throw the scouting department under the bus but like but Deck McGuire <laughs> is one of those guys who basically that's what you're you're getting around you know around baseball Jeb, and I loved Deck McGuire Jeb, in college Jeb Bradley was a guy who we were getting about the FSL if you want to say about two two tech guys. You know, speaking again of FSL, you know, Levi Michael who the Twins drafted. Like when you would bring his name up, hey, is this guy right. a back end of the 20 guy? And it's like he's not a back end of the 60 guy. I mean, Twins would disagree. But, and I have but, I can give you that in the next podcast. I understand that, but AL Central podcast. But the point is is guys who and I think even the Twins would admit though, if you watched him, if you were evaluating him off of what you saw this year, right. He's still the he's best not, defensive infielder in their organization. That's a frightening thing in some ways. No, it's not because he does make the on the balls he gets to. He makes all those plays. Right, but He's they a were saying but they were throwing they were throwing forty range on him in that league. I, I understand that. We're gonna get in the weeds here yeah. on Levi Michael. I'm gonna defend the honor of Levi Michael. Here it comes, but, and, and not because of the Tar Heel. Here's two things on Levi Michael. I'm gonna give you as we digress. A, skip this high school. Se- this would have been his college junior right. season. So, a, so there's a lack of physicality of man strength there. That was magnified by the fact that this guy was ravaged physically. Oh, that's, and that's what they were saying this year. And, so that's that. the issue. Honestly, I, I, I'm going to start my man crush is going to really go to another level when I give you this. He is almost the equivalent of Marcus Sanders. <laughs> that's going deep. Wow. But here's a guy who that physically is... probably should not have even been playing. And see, But I think he wanted to play, and the Twins, to their underst- the way they explained it to me, couldn't do any more damage to, but he had enough soft tissue and joint problems when he was hurt that they don't think they anyone saw the real Levi Michael. And I'm not saying close. this. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that in one way right. or another. What I'm That's saying is very different from a pitcher. But I had what, to defend Levi. Right. But what I'm saying is is that what they're seeing was because and with Levi Michael, right. what we're not seeing. We were seeing a shell of Levi Michael. You were. Last you did year. not see. He did not have the first step quickness to be a shortstop. No, There's no doubt and about that. That is. And what what it is is. And again. If you're talking about the guys you were talking about this with, where, say, where guys are saying, whew, what, you know, what did they see in that? Right. The best hope you have for that is, is that it's an injury guy. That, and that's it. You know, so like Marcus, with, Levi Michael, with Levi Michael, you can make the argument, yes, he was a shell, he'll get better. We, may don't, we don't know. We don't know if these right. injuries are, well, we'll never see Levi Michael again, right. or like we did, or... Like what happened with Marcus Sanders. Right, and that's what Marcus Sanders... Marcus Sanders... Mm. The Marcus, Marcus Sa- Sanders... John, just a, just a, just a John has a glow, and you know he really does. But, <laughs> he was so awesome. <laughs> I love that guy. You know, but that's but what we're talking about is is that that's the 
and I, I, to go, you know, since we're on Blue Jays, Daniel Norris. Yeah, great point. That's a great way to bring it back to the Blue Jays. What do you do with Daniel Norris? He's like the uh, he's like the uh, not on this top ten. I can't think of the German word for it. Uh, Fräulein Maria of this top ten because like, what do you do with someone like Daniel Norris? I mean, he should be in their top ten. But you, you can't, can't do it. You can't do it because he got hammered in the Appalachian I mean, League. Admittedly, you will hear the mantra comes from us. I mean, we, we've we been saying it for years. Yep. Don't focus much on stats at the rookie league levels, especially. At the rookie league levels. They matter stats, less than anything. Right. If you said, I'm, you know what, I'm going to pull out your 2002 Appy League stats. And even if you say, I'm going to look at age and stats, that doesn't mean you can really base a whole lot off of that. That being said... There's a floor of statistical performance that is acceptable, and below that, you get in the unacceptable category. Just 7. because you just eight, eight? was that what it is? I thought it was over. I thought it was over eight, but I could be wrong. But yeah, that's the problem with Daniel Norris. And the thing is, this this scouting report talks about him having you know four plus pitches at times. And if you if you're throwing four plus pitches, then you're not getting hammered well, in the app. This, this is also uh, this is uh, to get on a. Oh, hey, a nice, a baseball a nice old picture, by the way. I'm trying to find their 2000 Appy League. That's Vernon Wells but, in a 2001 Blue Jays uh, media guy. That's but awesome. To put a Baseball America scouting point on it, it, it is it's one of those things where you, when you're talking to scouts and all, when you say you're plus pitches, what's interesting at that is, is that, and it becomes difficult because it's hard not to become repetitive writing this. It does. The number of pitchers, when we're talking about A-ball and lower, who have they don't really have very, 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 very few guys have three. Like Daniel Norris doesn't – if Daniel Norris had a zero ERA in the Appy League, he doesn't have four-plus pitches. But what it is is – unless he's a uber prospect. Right, no, he doesn't. He, I, what he has is, is – and this is – you know, it's like how you have to say that. It's like it's that he has a plus fastball, and he's generally with those guys. What you're talking about is that they're showing flashes yeah. of – where you say, okay, if that pitch, if he refines that pitch, if he, if it goes for instead of him breaking off two good ones out of every three, you know, or you know, one out of every three, it goes to being four out of every five or right. five out of every six. Down the road, he'll have three plus pitches. But yeah, at the same time, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't compile an ER. You cannot put the numbers up. He did. You can't be that bad if you have, if you even if you're flashing. Happy League four, guys four are not squaring up plus stuff like, especially if you have. Four of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, that, that's the part. That, so he's a vexing prospect. They gave $2 million to him. And I think that's the thing is that when you look at the Jays' top 10 and their top 30, you see a lot of upside. But to really be an elite farm system, you have to see upside in guys who are close to the majors. And they graduated a lot of those guys. The Hutchins, excuse me, Drew Hutchinson, Anthony Ghost, guys like that. You have to see your guys who are your upside guys who also performed. That's what makes you an elite farm. And that's what they, Jake Marisnik didn't quite perform. I was going to say, They're Syndergaard, Sanchez, Nicolino, uh, Osuna. Those guys, you know what? They they fit that perfectly. Yeah, they, they do. And that's why it's a top 10 farm system. Uh, but then Marcus Stroman, he's one of your close to the majors guys. Well, he's got a 50-game suspension. And I think we don't know until we see what uh, what Marcus Stroman is when he's past his suspension – I love Marcus Stroman. I've seen it for three years at Duke. I've seen the electricity. I don't think it's because of the PEDs, but I also can't be naive. It's 2012, JJ, and you just never know, you know. So I, I want to see him do it. I want to see him have that hard slider with depth. 
uh, like a premium slider, the best slider in the draft. I want to see him do that when he's passed some drug tests. I hate to say the, that because I really like Mark Stroman. The guy, and I, you know, I do like this ten a lot. I, I do. Oh yeah, no, like it's still DJ a good Davis 10. at nine. Yeah, he's very interesting. He's extremely interesting. Love that upside. But Jake Marisnik is a guy who fascinating guy. Fascinating guy. And the interesting thing about it is, is that he's not the same guy. But a lot of the things, if you're talking about the future part, we always do, you know, we do basically the background, the scanning report, and the future. A lot of the future with him, a lot of the questions about him are some of the same things that he doesn't have. His tools are not as loud as Anthony Gosey. Right. But it really, again, you know. It's, fair pro- it's a fair parallel. We're coming back to it's, it really comes down with Marisnik to, okay, what, what's the bat going to be? If I were James Carville, the way I would characterize what we're talking about is it's the hit tool, stupid. Right. I mean, I that's mean, really it, what it really is. It really is because what you're talking about, I, throw, I know, he, you know, 233, 286, 336 for 223 bats of double A. I'm being, let's say, you know what, okay, double-A jump is, is tough. Small sample size. Small sample size, all that. But even when you talk about him and when he was in the FSL, and sorry I'm bringing up FSL a lot. I did the FSL list. I talked to a lot of okay, people about yeah. these guys. There were guys who were saying, like, when you were talking about center fielders in that league, you had a lot of very intriguing ones. And the thing, especially when you talked about him, you talked about Christian Yelich. The tools for him? Because arm really isn't that important. I'm pretty sure they're both SoCal 20. Well, no, Yelich was 2010, and Marisnik was a year before. But they're both SoCal guys, so I bet you a lot of SoCal guys have seen the both of them. But when you're talking about the tools, if you because Marisnik's arm way better than Yelich's. Although apparently Yelich's arm really jumped not, up a couple yeah, notches. It's not, it's, like not it's not as bad as nearly as bad as it used to. Kudos be. to Christian Yelich. And I'll say this: when I saw him at the Futures game, I remember thinking, "Huh." You know, watching him in in pregame, it didn't look like Johnny Damon's. It's off. like <laughs> he's not. You know, like because he was out there. I mean, and he was out there throwing. Anthony Ghost was out there, and you're like, you know, Anthony Ghost has a cannon, right? And then you're like, but this is he's not rolling the ball up there. I mean, it's not that bad. It's a slow release. That's really what it comes down with Yelich. It's, it's hmm. a slow release now. Okay. But that being said, Christian Yelich is so much like I don't think you can say that. Marisnik's upside is that much better than Yelich's, and Yelich's likelihood of reaching it is so much bigger because yeah, I don't think his upside is anywhere at all better than Yelich's. I think Christian Yelich is probably the least publicized elite prospect. I, in I the was game. like, if you, I was sitting He's there, I've started guy. thinking, I've started thinking, like, okay, so you know, because we do the fifties for the handbook, yeah. and I'm like. Yeah, he's he's a ten to twenty guy at least. For yeah, me. I think he is. Because like, if you look at it, he said, if you were asking me what prospect, what a ball prospect, am I most confident about? He might be the number one guy. I think he's the number one guy. Like, not that there's other guys out there, because I Jose Herman, again FSL Jose Fernandez is a better prospect, right? And he's you know, hadn't really hadn't gotten beyond a ball. If you said Christian Yelich, no, Christian Yelich, I think you, to me, if you're ranking the Marlins, Fernandez is one, Yelich is two. But Christian Yelich, he's going to hit. I he's, completely agree. He's going to hit. He's going to have some pop. He I did think it. he has. He are you showing it? He's coming into more and more power, and I think that his power has been a little undersold by us or and anybody he is, else. And he is better defensively than a lot of people think. I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think he's a 20 to 25 home run, 300 hitting center fielder. Absolutely, I think he's a star. If you said like, Christian if you Yelich said that, that if you describe that, like again, and, and Jake Marisnik could be a star, but I don't think his ceiling—that's his absolute ceiling. I have a lot more confidence, and I don't think there's any way he's a 300 hitter. Actually, I think Jake Marisnik's ceiling. Honestly, Jake Marisnik sounds like the better version of what Jeff Francoeur was supposed to be. 
Now, he's going to walk a little bit more, but the athletic right fielder with power and speed who winds up being the athletic right fielder with power. And that's where he winds right. up. Right, because not many of those guys, not many of those guys carry the speed right. for the long term. Right, he could. I mean, he's, he could. He, he's, he's, just like he's, he's a little bit more fast twitchy yeah. than the average bear. But I do worry about the swing and miss. I do worry about the hit ability. That was the question before he was drafted. I think that Jay's made the right move to draft him and give him a million dollars and get an athlete like that in their system. And hey, I mean, and I feel like he well, has look, a chance to be look, an impact player. But I don't we like. We still have like those questions with Anthony Ghost. We, yeah, I mean, no those doubt. questions are still there, but at the same time, Anthony Ghost is a big leaguer, and Anthony Ghost is a big leaguer who helps your team in Correct. many ways already. Like you're, the way the scouts always tell me about it, like it was a player like I had in the Yankees organization, because we're talking American League's top 30s, uh, Corbin Joseph. Didn't rank him in the International League. Ended up ranking him with the Yankees toward the back of the 30. But the scouts who don't like him always say the same thing about him. They've said it for three years. If he's not hitting, how does he help your team win? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fours elsewhere. Anthony Ghost is the, these players where it's the hit tool stupid. They do have other ways to hit you, other ways to help your team, and that's why we as an organization have always disliked the Travis Denker profile and will give the benefit of the doubt to the Anthony Ghost profile. But if you because if you do hit, then you're going to help your team in a lot of ways. And I don't want to build too much because Gregor Blanco is. I mean, like we're not making Gregor Blanco be more than he is. Gregor Blanco is a this he's, a four, he's a fringe. He is a guy who every year is on the cusp between AAA and the big leagues. If this year was his. This if year he was a his great ceiling. year. He's a big league backup. If he has a bad year, he's he's hitting 220 in AAA like he did last Again, year. Again, you can have a left fielder like Gregor Blanco when your catcher hits like Buster Posey. But the thing that Gregor Blanco does that gives him a lot more chances to get to collect big league checks is that Gregor Blanco. Okay. He draws walks, he runs, yep. he plays great defense. Absolutely. There, you his, do other those tools, his other tools other than his hit are not fours. They're like sixes and maybe sevens. And the thing that the that gives you is that that gives you, uh, again, that gives you a lot more options to collect that big league check, yeah. to get the big league per diem, because what it does is that, again, if you have those cornerstone guys, you you can only for one thing if you have those cornerstone guys you can make get by with those guys you know some of those guys the other thing is is whether you have cornerstone guys or not you can only and the tigers push this to the limit about but you can <laughs> yeah. only have holes at so many positions you can only have hitters who basically what they do is hit at so many positions right yeah, that's right and we, you can't you 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 I do believe you could reach a critical mass where you go oh okay like otherwise like you're the, playing slow pitch softball. And and the reality is is that you can win games some games that way, but I don't think you win championships. It's hard to find a team you can point to say they won championships. Yeah, I think the, the the Tigers had so many stars, and it really just showed you how much power pitching and a star a, a, an organization a lineup that revolved around stars, franchise players, and Cabrera and Fielder. Uh, that's a, that's a better word for it, franchise players. Uh, that they showed you that the rest of that supporting cast was about as weak as it could get. Oh. Certainly, Alex Avila had a down year this year compared to what he did the previous but, you know, year. But you said Alex Avila is a is a big league regular catcher. You could right. do better. You could do worse. I right. think that's a fair assessment. Exactly. Of it. But I mean, like the that was a pretty weak supporting cast for an American League pennant winner. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and the Blue Jays, JJ, the other issue is that their big league team. You know, what do you do with their big league team? What do you make of the big league Jays? It's a 
it's, it's a conundrum. One of, one of the real problems you have is is that you almost can't make any assessments off of last year because you <laughs> yeah. you got to the point where it's you know you you were just doing triage. It was just wait. So who's hurt now? Okay. Well, what are we gonna what are we gonna patch this up with to put a team on the field? I mean, that's what they got down to. Is like if you Pretty if much. you could lift your arm over your head and throw the ball in the direction of home plate, you probably got to start for the Blue Jays at some point. And it's not their fault. It's because their entire rotation got hurt. And not a lot of those guys, some of those guys aren't going to be ready when the season starts. Right. Uh, That's the tough thing. The other tough thing is, like, who are some of their guys? Like, who is their core in their field and their team besides Batista? I think at this point, as crazy as it is, I think you have to be, you have to say, okay, we're going to believe in Edwin and Encarnacion because – I, I think so. Forty-two and, home runs, forty-two home runs. And Brett Lowry, we got to believe in. I, I think you believe in him. That said, that was a pretty it was. un uh, just a year. I wasn't. But that was you not ha- the droid I was looking. I'll for. put it this way: you, to me though, if you're the Blue Jays, you have to believe in him. Certainly, because you're you can't. You're, but can you build around him? But again, what I'm saying is, is I think you are forced in a situation, and this is this can get dangerous because. I think in the past they tried to build someone around Travis Snyder and guys like that right. and ended up finding, oh, okay, right. that's not what we thought it was. But I do think that, yes, you have to say with Brett Lowry, you know what, we believe in the talent. We believe we are building that, like, when if we're going to be successful. If we're not, we're all going to get fired anyway, right. so who right. cares? But if, but we're, if we're going to be successful, he's part of it. He's part of the, the cornerstones. Okay. How about how about Colby Rasmus and Adam Lind? Are those guys? I see at that point now, with Colby Rasmus. If you said, I think if you're the Blue Jays, you have to be all in on Brett Lowry because if that doesn't work, you don't really have Colby Rasmus at this point. I'm not willing to go all in on Colby Rasmus. Like at either. this point, he's part of the same draft. All the other guys from that yeah. draft, we Blue know what up. they are. Jay Bruce. Andrew McCutcheon, they are who they are. They're stars, especially yeah, McCutcheon. Even the guys who aren't star, you know, Justin Upton, like you know, is a little bit and 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 the Magnet, you know, or there's years that he's really good. But you know what he is. It's a little. Too yeah, the outfield, the high school outfielders in that draft were Justin Upton, Cameron Mabin, Andrew McCutcheon, Jay Bruce, uh, and then uh, the college ones. You had John Mayberry Jr., yeah. Tra- Jacoby Ellsbury, and then down there, Colby Rasmus. But, but the thing about it is, is that Colby Rasmus, okay, yes, he's part don't, of the Don't forget, by the way, C.J. Henry in the middle of that. Yankees. Yeah. Don't. But don't. Not the athlete they thought he was. That's right. Um, but uh, um, that was another I, guy. I that was another guy I want to say at some point I remember getting a, yeah, I don't right. know. This guy's not as good as I thought it was going to be. But all those left, the left-handed hitters for the Jays is kind of the issue. Like, you, you have a middle of the lineup core with Lowry, Batista, Encarnacion. That should be the envy of the American League. That's, that's huge power. Uh, if two guys have hit 40 home runs what, in that but, lineup. What you're, what you're counting on beyond that, though, is, is that, okay, is Anthony mm-hmm. Ghost going to – he doesn't have to be great. We were just talking about there. He doesn't that's have to a, be great. You, but need go, you just need Ghost and, and Rasmus to hit 250, 260. I don't know if they could do that. I, I especially – I don't think Colby Rasmus can do that. I, I, the point I'm making is with Colby Rasmus at this point, Cameron Mabin was the long-developing one of that group. Right, right. But Cameron Mabin has had now, like, I, I'd say you can argue he's had a decent track record. Colby Rasmus has not had – I mean, how uh, far yeah. do you have to go back to say when Colby Rasmus had success? He has a one year where he hit better than 250. And how far do you have to – you know, and at what point do you say, you know what, instead of it being that everyone has screwed you up – Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. at some point you have to say, okay, maybe you just weren't as good as everyone hoped you would be. I mean, that's that, that's the point where we are with uh, with uh, with Kobe Rasmus. Yeah, Cameron maybe didn't have a great year this year. The 655 ops. It's probably still 100 OPS plus when you put it right. in. Right. Oh, I, I think with Cameron Mabin, like you can say now, no, no, he's not going to be a star. He's not going to be. Right. You know, he. But he's a. I'll put it this way. You, you also got to throw in, you know, where he's playing and all too. Cause, oh yeah, no, absolutely. That's a huge part of it. You know, but you you say with him, he's a he's a big league regular. No, yeah, no doubt. He's a. And he might be a first division big league regular. The defense is at times spectacular for him in center field. But so Kobe Rasmus doesn't even give you that. But and the, the, other thing, the other thing with the Blue Jays is, is that okay, they do have they have when he gets healthy, Darnold is a that could give them another. I don't think when you're talking cornerstone, we just talk about Buster Posey. We're not talking about like that, but we're talking about above average big league catcher. He could do that. I think so. If I, he I does that, so. if he does that, okay, so you've got another piece there. It also gives you a piece then you can turn around and, hey, someone want JPR and Yeah, Exactly. Who I mean, we know what he is now somewhat, which is. He's a power-hitting catcher who's going to strike out a lot. He's certainly useful. But, I mean, you have they've also locked up Jeff Mathis. We know what he is. He's a backup. But he's signed through, I think, 2014. Which is fine as long as he's the backup. As long as he's the backup, I mean, that's fine. That helps you break in Travis Darno. So, to me, that's how you make a move. That's how you improve your team if you're Toronto. But. It's tough to evaluate them, JJ, because you, you that, make I don't beyond think 2011, beyond I mean, 2012, that, I mean. But the other thing is, is beyond that, there's not a whole lot of guys you say they're going to help them soon. Yeah, I agree. That's, Marcus that, Stroman in the pen could help them and soon, maybe. But. And that ultimately, outside of Darno, that's the problem. And the other guy in their top ten, who again is a question mark guy, is Adiani Hechevaria. So I do think it'll be a little bit easier for them to get a read on players like him in the future, because they're leaving Las Vegas and going with their... Uh, Triple A affiliate to Buffalo, which I think will be a no, big that's, improvement that's for be them. A huge, I, I do them. think it gets underemphasized how how crushing that can be because, right. like if with Eshavaria, if Eshavaria had hit in Buffalo last year, you would have a sense to know what he is. Yeah, you're right. To but me, he, he hit three twelve, three sixty three, four twenty four in Las Vegas. You know what that tells you? That actually tells you nothing, right? Because a couple things. One. Hitting 313 in Las Vegas means you were a below-average hitter. Just about. Two, there is something to be said for when you know you are playing at a park where if you make contact, the good You'll things happen. You'll be rewarded, yeah. That means you – part of hitting is confidence. <laughs> part of pitching is confidence. Right. There aren't a whole lot of confident pitchers in Las Vegas, and there are a whole lot of confident hitters. Yeah, also uh, a lot of hungover pitchers in Las Vegas, too. <laughs> that's but. right. I'm looking at the same thing in Reno. It's it, – it just uh, – I'm with you. I don't know how you evaluate him. I do think if I were them and they could find a taker for Janelle Escobar, who sounds like is a problem child, yeah, as he so. was in Atlanta, as he is in Toronto, uh, you, you do that. And, and You'd to be me, willing to roll the dice and learn about what he's going to be because he's going to handle it defensively. And I, I think that the Blue Jays have seen this uh, this kind of player before. His name was Cesar Asturis. They came up with him. I think Hechevaria is an Asturis type with a little bit more offensive upside. That's not saying much when you're comparing okay. him to Cesar Asturis. Challenge trade, or I'll not really challenge trade, but who do you like better? Because to me, they're they're so similar you got to ask. Iglesias, Hechevaria. I like Hechevaria because I do have more confidence in his bat. And I, think I agree. He's, he, I think he can be an average big league shortstop, which means he'll be a 60 shortstop. Uh, so I think he'll be an average big league defensive shortstop, and I think he'll be fringe average offensively, especially in today's environment of where and, a 700 OPS is good. And I, I think that's his ceiling. I, again, I think he's a better version of, of a Cesar Asturias, and 
be that kind of or maybe you're looking to upgrade. But I, I never think Julio. I don't think Iglesias is ever going to be a. I don't think he's a starting big league shortstop. Right, and that's saying that Iglesias could be an eighty. I mean, do you think he could be an eighty? I just he's just so overmatched offensively. Right. I, I mean, again, your best case scenario with him, I, I throw out Cesar Estrada all the time because he was such a good defensive shortstop. And the thing is that you talk to scouts who liked his swing well to enough. Me, but basically, Iglesias has never to hit. Me, Iglesias, I, I, the better comp for him is Ray Ordonez. And that's why well, I haven't ever talked to a scout who liked his swing. That's the problem. That's why I'm using the Asturias as the baseline because I have talked to scouts who like Echevarria's swing, and I haven't found one yet who likes Iglesias' swing. Let's say scouts. To me, I've can I've talked to a lot of scouts who are prone to project favorably the bats of really good defensive shortstops. Right. And I've had a guy Still explain enough. it. I've had a guy explain it. One of the reasons he explained it, he said, said, if I see that hand eye, I hmm. believe that at some point, you know, that athleticism, that hand translate. eye, that, makes that sense. will translate. If you see the hands that good in the field, you figure they got to work at the plate. That makes right. sense. But here's the thing. I And my argument back to that is no one had better hands than Ray Ordonez. And it didn't translate at the plate. I mean, it can. Right. But I, I, um, uh, the Astros shortstop uh, from the Phillies, uh, uh, trade a couple years ago. Jonathan Villar? Yeah. Okay. I got that on Villar a couple years ago. Was I think he's going to hit long term. The difference is that Villar has impacted the baseball. Iglesias sometimes impacts the baseball with the force of like a 10 <laughs> yeah. minute cooked vermicelli noodle. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that really, I mean, there were, I mean, it was like, it was painful watching it him is. in Boston sometimes. It's like, it is. if he got the ball back, I, the best way to describe it is, is when you're watching the. The awkward kid on the little league team, and you're just hoping just make contact. And it's like, hey, he got it to the pitcher. Good job. Like there were times with Glazes. I don't want to over dramatize it, but if he got the ball to the outfield, you felt like he was doing pretty well. I know. I agree. He was completely overmatched. That's why I don't have confidence in him. Like, yeah, and I think Echeverria. I don't. Yeah, I. I think he could be. I, I like how you described it. You can put him out there. You'll be I know fine. A, I know there's a better version, but I just remember this was the. the Many moons ago, when I did Blue Jays top 30s and talked to people about Cesar Asturias, everyone said, "Yeah, I know he doesn't hit, but we do like the swing." It was inside the organization. It was outside the organization. That's why I use that and comp. Then, I know they're better comps, but that's the why. But I'm no, using. that's not a bad one. I mean, that's to me though. That's and with Echevarria, what we're talking about is, is he could be the guy that you have. And if everything breaks right, you go, you know, he's better than we thought, and we can live with it for long term. Certainly. But if he, but more likely. Okay, if we trade you now, Escobar, we can plug him in. Right. He can bat eight or nine. He'll be okay. And here, we're, we're here's an interesting one for the Blue Jays, and we'll wrap up on this. They, we don't even have their future second baseman in that, in that lineup will change in the book because it's Mike Aviles, and they just traded him and another piece for Esmil Rogers. Um, just not – I like what the Blue Jays have been trying to do, but they just seem like they just can't get all the wheels going in the same direction as an organization. That, that it's tough. Be, that that's being a, said – It's a real shame. That being said – if the Orioles could do it this year? Yeah, there's no excuses for Toronto. No, That's but the problem. But no, I was going to go a different way. If the Orioles can do it this way, the Blue Jays are way, way closer. If you said to me before the season this year the Orioles are going to go to the playoffs, I'd go, I can't, I can't map out how it's going to get to that. If you told me right now, you said, hey, the Blue Jays are going to make the playoffs this year, I can at least map it out. Because what, what happens is the cornerstone guys we just talked about, yeah. like, okay, Joey Bautista goes, you know, is healthy. And yeah. he hits 40. Our Encarnacion hits 40. Brett Lowry hits 30. And they get enough pitchers healthy. Okay, I can at least with them 
I can see that, you know, the Red Sox You stay, can see a path. I yeah. can see a path. You can see a path at 270 for those guys. Whereas I cannot, like, if you were told me the Orioles for the season, I couldn't see a path. Completely agree. I couldn't see on the, I could not see the path. There's the talent there in Toronto, but the recent track record has been dismaying and they just can't get any breaks and or they can't just get, again, like I said, all oh, the their, Orioles took all their breaks this year. As they were getting broken, the Correct. Orioles took all the breaks. That's it. That's pretty much it. Uh, if you didn't, li- if you were disappointed in the last American League East podcast, I hope we made up for it. So two podcasts. See, I in the told American you I would get John to talk. He would not just, you know. Yeah, it wasn't that hard. Uh, so good stuff, JJ. That was a lot of fun. A rollicking good time on the American and League. And I'm East. sure we will be talking. We'll have one Twins Royals podcast, and then and we'll then cover we'll, everyone else. Exactly. So for JJ, I'm John. We'll see you next time on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.